Hello, and welcome to another episode of Conversations in Cocoa. I'm Lauren Heineck, the host and producer of this podcast. This series stems from over six years of industry work, conversations with peers, collaborators, and mentors. You can find more of my writings and stay updated to future podcasts at laurenontheweekend.substack.com. That's WKND, as well as find me on Twitter at Weekend Chocolate and Instagram Lauren on the Weekend. If you're in a position to support these podcasts and find this content useful, please think about becoming an annual subscriber. Thanks again for your support. I really appreciate you. Today in conversation with Karen Waller owner and head chocolatier of Tempt York. All right. So one of the reasons I wanted to have a meeting with you, Karen, and to get to know you a little better is because I'm so fascinated by the new project that you have mentored in, Tempt Chocolate in York. Why this mission now? Why Tempt and why in York? York, with its confectionery history, I think is a perfect location for Tempt because I sort of see it as an evolution. Obviously, we know the legacy of chocolate. That's gone into a little bit in sort of York, the different places you can visit. But I see Tempt as the next evolution in sort of the, the ethics of it and everything. And I felt very much, I mean, I became vegan only two years ago, so not that long ago. But I'd reached a point in my career after 15 years in chocolate that it wasn't just the animal side of it it was the human side it was everything I'd worked for so many companies who claimed to be ethical and once you get in there they're horrific to work for and they don't even come close to fulfilling the ethics that they claim to on a sourcing level and I was at a point where it doesn't go too far to say it was soul destroying I just couldn't take it anymore when COVID happened and I got furloughed, I was like, okay, I either do my own thing again or I give up chocolate altogether. And I felt very much like if I give up chocolate, it needs because I want to. I don't want to be forced out of an industry that I genuinely love. Like, there are so many companies and so many people in every stage of the chocolate industry that are wonderful people trying to make a difference, trying to do things well. And I absolutely love it. And so I decided I wanted to do it my way. If it works, it works. And if it doesn't, it doesn't. And I think trying to, there was a lot happened in my head in those first few months of COVID, like they did for everybody, probably. A realization that I want to try and make a difference. And I probably always have, but I haven't known how to do it. And there are loads of, you know, quite good and really good vegan companies online that you can buy online did I decide not to invest my money and and do that or did I try to really make a difference and so that's why Tempt is a city centre location much as rents and rates for all small business altogether but a new business trying to break into a city centre location in a touristy city like York it's it's incredibly hard but for me it's making a point it's establishing plant-based vegan chocolate we shouldn't be a sideline we need to be just really good chocolate on the high street like everybody else you know we've got a place 
and a right to be there. And that does invite people in. Whereas I think online, if people buy online, it's vegans buying or it's people buying specifically for vegans. You're never going to have that person going to the site and, and by chance or wandering in. For me, it's that little bit of difference. It's raising the profile. It's saying that, you know, plant-based chocolate's here. It's great. You know, this is what it can be if you put the effort in and you care. And, and that's probably the difference with my chocolate, like any really good small chocolatier anyway. It's good because I care. So, yeah, Tempt is there. It's there to make a point. Gentle activism. You're because of the confectionery heritage. So really, it all ties in together, I think. The way we think about chocolate and the way that chocolate is one thing or can only be made one way lately, I guess, in the last hundred years or so, chocolate with milk and chocolate with butter for ganaches and chocolate as something far removed from what it is and what it could be. And I would love to just start with you knowing that even in the legal space and this legal binding language that we have that says chocolate is only what is chocolate for you? Chocolate is viewed as always containing milk. I was edging towards being vegan for quite a few years, but never thought I'd be able to do it because even in my head, chocolate needed milk and ashes needed cream and butter. It's something that only really happened in my mind after I became vegan in a few months in. And I suppose it was an ethical thing that did it for me because I was also a chocolate maker and sort of making chocolate becoming covered in milk powder while you're doing that and the smell of that, which does change as you become vegan, the smell and taste of milk changes so much, it becomes something very alien to you and your palate changes. So the depth of flavor you get from ordinary cacao, ordinary chocolate, it becomes something different. Your palate becomes clearer. And obviously we know how milk does affect things. Milk does make flavors more mild. sort of dulls them in a way so once that's removed from your palate you get the richness which of course a lot of bean to bar makers already have that depth and breadth of flavor within their chocolate but a lot of them are still using the milk and and that becomes a challenge then when you do remove the milk to keep those flavors because it is different yeah chocolate it's very interesting the people that come into my shop and they do say, so plant-based chocolate, what's that all about? You know, and sometimes they can be quite adversarial and suggest that it's not chocolate. And I'm like, well, dark chocolate theoretically shouldn't have milk anyway. Chocolate is chocolate. Cocoa, cacao, it's a plant. It's a tree. All I'm doing is removing the milk, removing the animal aspect, which some people would argue that's something that's especially been pushed in the past because milk's been a cheap product because of subsidization. It's something that we do put into everything. You know, once you become vegan, you see where it is. It's in crisps, it's in biscuits, you know, it is everywhere. So to me, it is going back towards appreciating the flavor of nature and seeing how you can combine different ingredients to create something that hopefully makes the cocoa shine. It's taking chocolate back to nature, removing the cruelty, trying to do it in a way that causes as little harm as possible. I'm never going to say it's harm-free. It never is. There's a carbon footprint to everything. Much as we all try, as positive and as ethical as possible, nothing's perfect. And I'm not claiming to be that as, as back to nature as it possibly can be. Thank you for providing that. Through my own personal life and potential work in how I might manage that tension between 
how do you be an artist or a creative in a medium of production and be quote unquote perfect, you know, not alter the atmosphere, the environment. And it is really hard to do nothing because otherwise you would be non-existent. So finding that balance between, as you said, limiting the cruelty, limiting the factors of harm. And in your case, it was providing plant-based chocolates. Do you see a distinguishing factor between being called plant-based chocolates or vegan? Is there a difference for you? There is a difference even within the vegan and plant-based communities. There is a distinction. For me, I would describe myself as an eco-vegan, an activist in a very gentle, inclusive way. I don't think that putting everything in boxes particularly is helpful. I think it excludes people. It makes people feel threatened and they back away. So I'm obviously vegan, but that's my personal values. That's because of my feeling towards animals. And that also for me goes into the environment, whereas some vegans don't make the link between animals and the environment. Plant-based for a lot of vegans isn't a strong enough word. It can lack activism, whereas for me, my activism is in being inclusive. And also plant-based, whole food plant-based suggests that it's natural. So everything that I use is as natural as possible. There's no colors. All of my flavorings, you know, organic essential oil, everything is as pure as possible, which plant-based goes towards suggesting, whereas vegan stuff can be full of absolute junk. Vegan doesn't mean healthy, whereas plant-based sort of suggests that. I do get an awful lot of customers who come in and, oh, no, it's not for me. It's, it's for so-and-so because they're vegan. I'm not vegan. Whereas the plant-based aspect, if people say, oh, what's plant-based then? And then they'll try it. And I've got a few customers that have come in because of that and have said to me, I never would have tried vegan, but I've tried you because I was intrigued by the plant-based. Hopefully it doesn't create the wall. It doesn't put it inside a, a ring fence. There is a difference, but for me, it's about inclusivity and the naturalness of what I do. And what about the environment, the locale where you find yourself right now? Is York a meat and potatoes city through and through? What is sort of the landscape that you have built the shop in? So York is actually the birthplace of Veganuary. Jane Landon, a partner that, that set up Veganuary, actually from York. There are deep sort of vegan roots and we have a fairly substantial vegan community and um, quite a lot of vegan food places, vegan options in, in every restaurant. And I think you do find that more and more across the UK now. So many cities are becoming so vegan and there's more sort of speciality and artisanal shops springing up, whether that's vegan butchers or people like me and bakeries and things. And it is sort of transcending into just being every day, which is what we need. But yeah, York is... York's a good, strong, we've got two vegan hairdressers. It's a good, strong vegan community, and I would say getting stronger. A good place, and obviously national, international tourism, lots of people come to me specifically because they've seen I'm there. So it's a great place for people to be able to come who don't live here as well. I didn't know that about Veganuary. <laughs> Veganuary, yeah. Is that now a global phenomenon or just within the UK? Yeah, Veganuary is huge now. I think half a million people did it last year. I haven't looked at the stats for this year. But there's activists all over the world now, US. And yeah, it is a worldwide thing. Amazing. You had mentioned this. So you're a classically trained chocolatier. If we could spend a few minutes getting to know your background in chocolate, part of what hinges on plant-based chocolates 
moving forward or struggling to come to the masses, if you will, is that all of the recipes pretty much developed for chocolatiers, whether within pastry programs or online, or even if I'm to reference a chocolate book from the past, as you were saying, they all maintain these sort of very common principles of a certain amount of cream, a certain amount of chocolate, a certain amount of butter, and getting away from those as the means of elaboration can be difficult for someone who might want to enter a business with sort of a plug and play mentality, because it provides this hurdle, unfortunately, that you would have to overcome. So I guess in knowing where you came from and all of the skills that you acquired, was it a simple jump to change your recipes? It wasn't as difficult as I thought it would be, is probably the best way to say it. I mean, a lot of companies as well, like, for example, Varona, they're realizing that there's too much fat in their recipes and their ganaches. So they're changing them anyway. They're reducing the amount of butter by a long way. And I think very much in chocolate, we've thought in the past that this is how it has to be. But I think we're learning that fat is fat. I remember having a conversation with a post chef years ago. You, you couldn't make mincemeat without suet. And I was like, well, suet's just fat. So just put in a different type of fat. Well, like we do with cakes now, we thought you needed eggs. We thought you needed butter. You don't. You don't need those things. I mean, when I used to develop recipes with dairy, I suppose you would just literally substitute something and not necessarily be as creative in that way. And you wouldn't think you could alter the recipe. It sounds silly. Most of them just seem to transfer over. And, you know, I replaced butter. I put some cocoa butter in there instead of butter. But a lot of recipes, you know, we've been making water ganaches or ganaches with fruit purees for years. Most of those just translate straight over and then just replacing some fat if I want it. Caramels are definitely a thing that people struggle with going towards vegan. I think, and it's how I used to behave with dairy anyway. If I create something and the flavor is not quite there, trying to add in some other little bits and bobs that will change the flavor and tweak it and maybe take it more towards what people expect. But I think there's an awful lot of non-vegans that are trying to capture the vegan market. They try to replicate a flavor exactly without understanding that vegans don't necessarily want that. I don't want something to taste exactly like milk because I don't like the flavor of milk. I miss the texture and then I want it to be delicious, but it doesn't have to be identical. And then it's about quality ingredients. If you use a cheap coconut milk to make a caramel or a ganache that's very strongly flavoured, it's got the different gums in it, it'll have a different result to a really nice organic one that hasn't got any gums in, that's really nice, mild flavour, there will be a different result. So for me, it's partly about ingredients as well and quality of ingredients, and that creates the flavour. It's about experimentation, which everything, everything was. And the big companies are having to provide those basic recipes now for people. So it's much, much easier for people to create vegan products because those recipes are there for people for whether you're using one of the big producers. The challenge comes, of course, when you're like me and you make your own chocolate or you use chocolate from small and more ethical producers. You don't get those recipes. So then you've got to be more creative and rely on your own shelf life testing and using labs and things but it doesn't have to be that complicated 
obviously most people are using the big companies and, and those recipes exist. But things like marshmallows, I've still got to figure that out. That's, that's part of this spring's development process. But that's fun. That's part of the enjoyment of it. I've always loved the creative side. I love chocolate because it's food, it's science and it's art all together. And that's been part of the fun journey for this is for 15 years, I'm doing something new and creative and scientific again. It's, it's interesting, exciting. I really appreciate that there's actually quite a diversity where you might think that something is one for one. And again, to reference the vegan baking element, to replace eggs, it could be a psyllium husk, it could be flax, it could be chia, it could be avocado, it could be applesauce, different ways to do it. Of course, then you have to take it upon yourself to experiment, as you say, and see what works for you. If you could clarify, when you buy through the larger conglomerates of chocolate, are they sending these recipes to their clients directly or you mean that they're available on their websites? Usually when you use chocolate from a, a large producer, they'll provide you with a book of recipes. So very few people create their own recipes. They're coming from that company and are sent to you. So I guess some of my recipes are still based on the old recipes that I had. That's a core, but they sort of don't count anymore because the water, the fat contents are so difficult. That's the way it usually is. Obviously, smaller companies, smaller ethical chocolate companies don't have those big development teams that are playing with ganaches or caramels to be able to create those recipes for you. Yeah, which can mean more failures and more potential money loss in the process. Definitely. It's a challenge for all small chocolate companies, whether you're doing development, whether you're training someone, when you're using an expensive product something that you are paying good money for yeah those trial and error things they are expensive it's one of the reasons i have got a little shop if something goes a little bit wrong your customers are very happy to to get one or two of those for free they're quite happy to taste them another my aim is zero waste which pretty much yeah it's about zero waste food wise at the moment which is good nice and i would love on the subject of where you're going to achieve or crack the code of marshmallows this spring, what other myths maybe you have busted where people said impossible to do? I was speaking to someone a few weeks ago in this kind of discussion of ethical nature and how we can move forward in this business and go plant-based. And their response to me was, well, it's really difficult to do that because they mold quicker or the water activity would then therefore create more pathogens. Have you found that to be true, that they have shorter shelf lives? Originally I did in ganache science, particularly that's more down to your technique and your sugar that you use to bind the water. I mean, I've still got to send off my latest batch for water activity testing. Basically, if you have more water activity, you get more mold, but the latest batch of ganaches that I've done, there's nothing happened in the last six weeks. That's a normal ganache. The same basics still apply with things like the water content and the technique and binding that water. That doesn't change. So for me, theoretically, there should be more risk of mold and rancidity in something containing dairy because dairy goes rancid, whereas you know, most of my ingredients don't. So, so far, no, that's not been a problem. My original couple of batches, I was experimenting with all different types of sugar syrups, like agave and, and different things like that, trying to see if I could do an entirely, you know, natural thing that even came away from glucose syrup. But when I looked into the effects of fructose and on the body, 
I did go through a really scientific phase trying to be as natural as possible. But at the end of the day, glucose works for a reason and it works really well. And the body assimilates it better than it does fructose in some ways. And if you're promoting the consumption of chocolate, you know, not on a mass scale, then a little bit of glucose is okay anyway. You know, it's in our bodies. Yeah, I would say I've not found it to be a problem so far. And it's maybe one of those things that people resist and they just need to tweak a little bit. Sure. Exposing yourself to this opportunity, but at the same time, it can put you a step backwards if, say, you have to redo your business plan, redo your recipes. And a lot of people feel like they don't have the time to do that. What might be your suggestion for those that are kind of on the precipice of how do I enter this phase or this change in my business? I think an awful lot of chocolate businesses are already doing it because they realize they have to. I mean, most traditional chocolatiers, the ones with experience, they do enjoy a challenge and they will try to do things. I mean, when Damien Allsop started doing water ganaches years ago, you know, that was fascinating to everybody. How on earth could he have done that? Whereas, yeah, basically the science is the same. But that little bit of trial and error, if you stick with your basic recipe, you know, go back and look at the ganache theory balance your water and fat in exactly the same way you would with a cream and butter ganache and it really works exactly the same and I think more and more people are entering into the domain whether they want to or not because they realize they have to for me that's a good thing it's like I've always said I've never seen other chocolatiers other high-end chocolatiers as competition no matter where I've worked or I've been the more good chocolatiers there are making chocolate well the better it is for everybody. And I think it's exactly the same with vegan. I just want more people to do it well (laughs) and they care about the ingredients they're going in and make it taste good in the same way, not just make it to fill a gap in the market, but not caring about it. And hopefully that is something that is going to change soon. I like your comment about not using artificial ingredients. And I think that is such an interesting thought to kind of simmer with in the moment where Instagram is plastered with very shiny, jewel-like, colorful bonbons and more. How do you balance maybe what the perception of people desiring artistry of intention on the shell versus what you might put into it in the interior? It's quite odd because I think for me, my style, I mean, the places I've worked at before have been very driven by visuals and almost pushed the boundaries in visuals a few years ago at the beginning of Instagram and things before people really did really shiny shells using cocoa butter or things. Like we were some of the first people to do that. Now I'm very much like, this is me. And you either like it or you don't. <laughs> It'll work or, or it won't. And I don't know, maybe I'm shooting myself in the foot a little bit, but that is just me. That's my style. I love chocolate. I love the color of chocolate and the beauty of it. And I want it to look like chocolate. I don't want it to be bright yellow or unless I'm using something natural. I made a British cassis chocolate last year that was in a purple shell and it was purple because I'd made the chocolate with blueberry in it. As much as possible, everything's going to be natural. I'm very much like if everyone's doing it, I don't necessarily want to do it. And and I'm sure people do come into my shop expecting that and they don't get it, but they're never going to get it (laughs) at the same time. And the people that do come in, they love it because, you know, you can have bright red bonbon using raspberry powder and, you know, there's all sorts of things you can do to make them look beautiful or or foils if you need to on different things. So it's never going to hit that Instagram spot, that sweet Instagram spot that 
everybody aims for but somehow what I'm doing is it's about something different to that anyway people love it because it's engaging and it's a story on its own and so it's in a way it's proving the point that if you're creative and you're fun it doesn't need to be brightly colored I don't think never have there been truer words of being confident in your own shell but we can say that people strive for a certain Instagram aesthetic, but I think a lot of us too are really tired, are really exhausted of that effort to, you know, aim for this certain level of perfection that is all of facade. I would like to also spend some time understanding the dynamic of how you balance being a chocolate maker and a chocolatier, because within our community, there can be a bit of like a diversion between these two parties, which ridiculous yet what maybe that means for you in terms of your personal identity and and the mission of tempt i mean i have to admit that when i start attempt i didn't intend on making my own chocolate i know how much work that is and how getting the chocolate consistent is a lot of effort and you know i tried chocolate from all the bigger producers all the smaller producers it just wasn't what i wanted or what i needed it wasn't good enough the quality wasn't there so that's when i knew I had to make it myself whether I wanted to or not. That's made Tempt into a chocolatier and chocolate maker. And they are two different skills. And I've sort of always said that to be a chocolate maker requires these skills, to be a chocolatier requires these skills. And I still think that's very true. Perhaps you only understand chocolate fully when you do make your own chocolate at the same time, but it's not an easy thing to do. You add in the labor time as well as the ingredients costs. Um, it's challenging, especially seeing this tempt at the moment is just me making all of the milk and the white chocolate. My dark chocolate is chocolate Madagascar, so that comes from there. But my milk and white is made by me. And, and yeah, when you're trying to do Christmas and you're trying to do however many tens of kilos of truffles a week and produce enough chocolate, it's a challenge. And not everybody can combine those two skills. And, the, you know, the science of being a chocolatier is a wonderful thing at the same time. I think there are more and more of the chocolate makers now straying into chocolatier territory, which I actually love. The chocolate makers before just made bars. Now they're starting to make caramels and marshmallows. And I think that's something that's really positive that's actually been born out of sort of the COVID era is people had time to invest in that and realize that they needed to expand. And so now you're getting other fantastic chocolatier products from the chocolate makers, which I think is a, a definite positive, positive move and hopefully leads to more expansion within that sort of ethical chocolate ground whereas chocolatiers tend to have to go for the cheaper chocolate because we still even after decades of fine chocolate are still battling to convince people that it's worth it and you combine fine chocolate with ethical chocolate with veganism and that's more challenges altogether but making the chocolate is part of would I stop if somebody provided me with chocolate that was good enough possibly maybe I'm not sure at the moment it's a million miles between what the chocolate that I make and how the, the mouthfeel and how it is and what I can get from a big producer yeah we'll see whether both the skills stay alive <laughs> and what are you seeking maybe there's someone listening that might want to provide you that one day or just in general like I think there's often this idea as well that chocolatiers need a certain fluidity and a certain percentage and a certain like taste profile for their bonbons. But what do you seek? For a vegan who is a chocolatier, it's about mouthfeel and flavor. So 
I mean, obviously, a lot of the large producers, they're limited by the allergens that they can use. So you end up with everything made of rice syrup, which, of course, is sweet. So then that sweetens it, it makes it crumbly. And you can see the very fast evolution of large scale vegan chocolate happening, you know, right now, especially with Veganuary, several different things have been launched. But it's about depth of flavor and texture mouthfeel. That's what we miss. We don't need it to taste like exactly like milk chocolate. You need it to be indulgent. And as a chocolatier, I need it to be fluid. I need it to be all those things. It's about texture and, and something that tastes like chocolate because so much of it, because it's made by people who aren't vegan, so don't understand the taste profile that we want. And using good cocoa, so providing there are good quality vegan chocolates on the market, but they tend to be really heavy and fatty. And then the cheaper ones taste of cheap chocolate. So it's that middle ground that hopefully I'm hitting that's ethical. It's got the mouthfeel and it's got the depth of chocolate flavor as well. Can you expound on what you mean by really fatty, like heavy in cocoa butter or too heavy in nut oils? Nut oils. Yeah. Um, so I balance mine with oats, which is something that that combination is, is what's really key. So the nuts are there for the luxury. And, and obviously the nuts that I use, I'm using fair trade organic cashew nuts and I'm using macadamia nuts. It's highly unlikely that many large scale producers are ever going to use that because of the cost of it. And then, yeah, the local organic oats. But maybe I would keep doing it myself, even if somebody had it, because otherwise I lose that local aspect as well of the local organic oats, which you know, that has multiple layers for me. Buying local, I'm well aware that the nuts that I use travel a long way, whereas, you know, dairy milk powder you can buy that's made in the UK. So the local organic oats are an attempt for me to cut my carbon footprint. I love the local oats angle. That brings about a really complicated set of questions and topics is that even as you get so granular to the basis of ethical chocolate, there's all these complexities within that, how sourcing is so woven between every element of every ingredient. So it's not just the cocoa, it's not just the sugar, it's not just the cashews, but they all need to be of a caliber that one would anticipate of being a certain ethical to sell then a final ethical chocolate. Or if that doesn't add up, then the percentages are off of what the ethicality is. How do you balance for yourself or maybe for others? Like I was just hearing the other day from someone that there's very few actual like final percentage of fair trade cashews in the world that's even available. All the rest of the cashews are sourced in an extremely like harmful labor intensive and dangerous labor foundation from a couple of countries that produce most of the world's cashews, but then yet so many vegan recipes are made with cashews of any kind. I'm kind of asking, where do we ensure that those pillars and those values are in place, whether that's trust or verifications, certifications for you, if that's what works, and then maybe how we can move forward in even greater fashion. Cashew nuts specifically were the thing that I struggled with when I was awesome because even people who sell the organic they can't give any human labor guarantees at all I contacted loads and loads of nut companies and they couldn't do it and then I found liberation nuts they do sell all different types of nuts and they sell to the supermarket ethically sourced nuts as well and the cashews 
they either come from India or I forget which African country. Yeah, they are certified. We know that the farmers are fairly paid, but we also know that the workers that are shelling the cashew nuts, because if people don't know, which an awful lot of people don't, that there's an acid produced by the cashew shells and people can get very bad burns, their hands, their face, their eyes. I know that the cashew nuts that I'm using, those workers are given all the protection that they need. And really, it's not that difficult. It's, you know, a long pair of gloves, some glasses, a mask. You know, you're not talking a lot, but unfortunately, that those basics are often what are ignored in capitalism, aren't they? And and turning everything world things. We don't we don't care about things. And I think that's something very much with veganism. People, like I said before, it can become very down the road. It's just for the animals. Whereas I'm like, you know, we need to look after the environment because the animals need an environment, but we also need to look after people because if we treat people well, they won't need to exploit their environment and they'll treat the local animals better. If, you know, if they've got money to buy food, they won't have to maybe poach or, you know, that's an extreme. Getting things like cashews ethically, I mean, you are always relying on the person you're buying from and the story that's written on something. The sugar I use, I've chosen not to use UK sugar, but to use organic cane sugar from the Brazilian rainforest, which is supposedly grown in a way that supports the locals. They don't have to deforest. It's grown within areas and you're trusting. It's a balancing act of one versus the other. But cashews is super important. Cocoa, I use from Chocolat Madagascar. I know their story. I've known their company for quite a while. That's part of my thing as well is some of the chocolate that I use, especially for my hot chocolate, I'm buying from UK producers that buy their cocoa direct, like um, like Duffy Sheardown. But the Madagascar, that's also part of my ethics is keeping the money in there because it's raised trade. It's keeping it in the country of origin. The farmers are paid, but also it's creating skill jobs that keeps money there. And also I'm shipping out less weight of products. I'm shipping out, you know, chocolate or cocoa nibs and cocoa butter instead of a raw product and all the weight of shell and everything. It's a balancing act and packaging becomes another one where, you know, if you go vegan, then the glues can't be compostable. So which do you do? You know, as a small company, this is one of the reasons why big companies creating more vegan products and become more vegan aware is actually helps the small businesses like me because as they create demand for vegan packaging, vegan glues, it becomes easier for me because I, I can't afford to get things made bespoke for me. But as those become more mainstream, they'll hopefully become more available to me. Always a balancing act. I'm highly aware of, and maybe I should be a little less hard on myself sometimes. When you're talking being truly vegan, it's paint on the walls. It's the glue that you use. It's literally everything. And it, and it does become super important because some of my customers, you know, they are very strict vegans they do really care and it's good it's good to educate them to teach because I think I've only had one or two customers in nine months who actually knew the issue with cashews so it's passing on that thing and then some of them will buy their cashews from me now to make their milk at home their cashew nut milk it gradually spreads things but yeah it's, it's always a balancing act I, I don't expect I think I probably used to expect perfectionism of myself and that's something I've had to let go. I think everyone does when they run their own business or they'd go mad. Yeah. Being gentle on ourselves when particularly in your case, you're having to take on so much responsibility for the way that you maneuver through the world in a world that has been created in this fashion. We've developed all these barriers that we don't even know about. 
and that as we're coming to terms and reckoning with so many different assets of social, political, environmental justice to say like, how did we do that? Why did we do that? Who decided and didn't inform us? But unfortunately that has been the case in many industries and we could name 300 other ingredients that are facing the same issues. Karen, sticking with this element of trust, do you make it a point to have a dialogue to share a certain part of the story with customers or how do you lead people through what you do and what you want them to experience? Up until now, I have entirely been engaging in dialogue, which I know I need to put things, actual visual cues on the walls. I need to have more posters and information there that makes it easier. I think because I'm a, I'm a small shop and I tend to only have one or two customers at a time, it gives me a really valuable opportunity to engage in that dialogue. Some people don't want it. They use me as a chocolate shop. They're not really bothered about the ethics or the veganism. They just come and buy good chocolate. But most of them, they really enjoy that chat. That's why they will buy from me is, is learning about the cashews or the cocoa. And I think they really, really enjoy that because they are more engaged and aware. I think when you move towards veganism or being plant-based, I think that creates, people talk about a vegan awakening. I think that genuinely is something because something changes in your brain chemistry where you start to see the world differently. And so you can engage in, in more things. And I think that's one of the things that's really lovely about a lot of my customers is that they do care about the human ethics as well and the environmental ethics as well. And people that hunt me out. But yeah, I, it's entirely verbal at the moment. So <laughs> I do end up just talking an awful lot about the same things, but hopefully it does interest people. But you can judge someone. I think all, all small business and shop owners know that. Someone comes in, you can tell very quickly whether they want to talk to you and engage in that or, or whether they, they don't have an interest in it. And sometimes I'll try and tweak it out of people, but not all the time. I like that idea of the consciousness being kind of recalibrated and how we might be more astute to what others are experiencing and not only our fellow humans. Yeah, definitely. And what would you want hope for or maybe something that is already in place to see around conferences, awards, festivals, and even regulation that might be better adapted towards plant-based products? And where do I start? Yeah, regulation's a fun one. My white chocolate, I can't even call white chocolate because it doesn't contain milk. So I call it vanilla white because I've got an awful lot of vanilla in there. But that to me is insane. White chocolate's made from cocoa butter. I don't see what role the milk has. I am thinking about changing. I know my Oco's Creamery in the US had this big fight recently about calling their butter butter. And it has made me wonder, do I just start calling it chocolate? The chances someone would come for me are slim, but if they do, then great. It creates a fuss. It creates a tension. So actually, maybe I should do that. My milk chocolate, I call it milk with a T on the end. And I've been told that even officially that even that is misleading for the consumer because they might think it contains milk. But again, it's chocolate. A lot of rules are antiquated and they're made to protect the establishment and established interests. There's a bit of pushback against veganism and against vegan community, but yeah, 
the change is happening. It's not even coming. The change is happening. It's about recognizing that myself as a vegan, if I make my own nut milk, I don't say I'm getting the white liquid out of the fridge. It's milk. It is milk to me. That's what it is. We, we say something is milky if it's an opaque white color. So I think it's about accepting that and, and moving forward with those times. Festivals, I think, would be fine and very inclusive. I haven't, obviously, we haven't had anything since I became vegan. Started the business nine months ago. Um, awards, definitely. I mean, I was a judge at the Academy of Chocolate Awards for seven or eight years. We've seen vegan chocolate change and improve over the years, but the attitude to it, it's still negative. It's not embracing. It doesn't understand what vegans want. Vegan chocolate is being judged from a dairy consumer's point of view. I mean, I can get political. (laughs) This year I did enter the Academy Awards with all of my chocolate and I did horrifically. Every vegan that comes to my shop says my chocolate is the best vegan chocolate I've ever tried. But most of my bars got ends, which is, you know, I've been a judge for a long time. My chocolate's not an end, but it was judged by people who've got no interest in my chocolate and still can't understand it. They can't. The chocolate establishment have a problem with embracing newness and innovativeness. And we saw it in the past with single origin milk dairy milk chocolates oh no we can't have single origin milk chocolate it destroys the flavor now that's commonplace we saw it with rough ground now that's commonplace and vegan chocolate will be embraced more but I think it's about understanding that veganism it's not just a lifestyle choice it's a way of being and it needs to be respected so we need plant-based categories not necessarily vegan categories because a person's a vegan and food is plant-based I think that's a distinction that actually maybe I should have made earlier and so yeah a plant-based section that actually embraces and and respects that and therefore the people are doing it because I can judge that section you know whereas before I've still been expected to judge the milk products even though I'm a vegan so it's a lack of understanding and respect for me and my beliefs that I think has got to change And yeah, I'm not going to judge until it is respected and changed because it is different. Like I said before, vegan palettes are different. We don't want the same thing. Maybe it needs training. Maybe it needs to be explained to the people that aren't vegan about exactly what we are looking for and what what we do want from chocolate. It's the same with any establishment, isn't it? It stands behind and it'll, you know, drag their feet until they have to change. It's always the same, but it it will change. The change will come. Really interesting points, Karen. And so for that potential new judging committee, would you hope that they were vegan? Or as you said, just through a certain training that they could understand the consumer it's meant for? It would be great to have more vegans. I mean, I could be wrong, but I believe I was the only vegan on the panel this year, but I could be wrong. I'd like to see vegans involved. I'd like to see, in the same way that we teach people how to judge an origin chocolate yeah explaining what the possibilities are and what what's being looked for because it's not necessarily the same thing it's not an acidic you know maybe it's partly what I've gone for as well I accept that chocolate that wins really high awards is unusual it's not necessarily a great seller it's something that is unusual and hits the spot and I've aimed my chocolate 
it's crowd pleasing. It's what people want to eat because if all ethical chocolate and all high scoring chocolate is always so unusual that it's only for the actual real connoisseurs, then it's not going to become, you know, mass availability and, and mass consumption. So, so yeah, I openly admit the chocolate I make, it's not golds. It's not award-winning goals because it's not, uh, that's not what I'm aiming for. I'm aiming for is it something that people will love and will really enjoy. That's as much about mouthfeel as anything else. So yeah, education, probably I would like to see. I'm so curious now, if we were to walk into your shop tomorrow, what would be the top three recommendations you could offer us? What would I need to try of yours, the crowd pleasers? I'm always going to say chocolate orange because it's York and obviously York's huge confectionery chocolate history with round trees and terries. It's the birthplace of the chocolate orange. It tastes and feels like you remember a chocolate orange should. I think even if you weren't a vegan, you would eat that and go, God, that's what I remember it tasting that. Whereas now, obviously, if you eat one, it's really sweet and milky. But I've had a gentleman in his 60s who he invested in my Kickstarter. And he came in and he said, oh, I ate it. And he said, it brought tears to my eyes because I haven't been able to have dairy for 30 years. And it tasted just like when I was a kid. That was lovely. So yeah, chocolate orange. And then some sort of caramel, probably the salted caramel, because obviously everybody loves a salted caramel. So yeah, having that texture and everything back. And then what else? I mean, I love nuts in all forms. And caramelized macadamia and hazelnuts is probably one of my favorite things. So my big slab that's just caramelized macadamia and hazelnuts in, in milk chocolate. I love that. It's winter, isn't it? So I'm going to go for the comfort factor, which is the, the big things of milk chocolate at the moment. The proof is in the pudding. It's really gratifying to see you even reflect so positively on your own creations. That's a real example of how to be excited and passionate about your work. We had said this in some emails back and forth previously, but I really like this notion that it's not fringe and we need to get over the idea that it's an outsider. And I think your points today are really leading to how true that is and that not only is it the future, but it's, it's our present if we want to make an impact. And as an industry, we need to be doing a better job in, in recognizing where we all play a role in that. I just think it's still so ingrained in people that if they want to open a chocolate shop, it's got to be available to everyone. And I'm curious where you maybe turn that on its head and say, if it is plant-based to begin with, it is for everyone. Do you agree with that? Or can you provide any other thoughts on it? I definitely agree. Yeah, that is the angle I'm trying to take. I do get some vegans who come in and say, why have you called it plant-based? Why haven't you called it vegan? And I try to explain that that is because I want it to be for everyone. It's exactly that. I want to invite people in. I want it to be chocolate for everyone. There is an awakening that isn't just vegan that's happening with everyone, that the damage that the dairy industry does. And I don't know if anyone even has statistics of the amount of milk that goes into chocolate, because if you imagine liquid milk and how much of liquid milk it must actually take to make all that milk powder, it must be incredible. And so people are becoming more aware, but for some reason you just don't see chocolate as being part of that problem because you enjoy it so much. And so you sort of blank that part out in the same way I did before I became vegan. It's a gradual awareness that's changing altogether. And the more that people 
accept because it is about accepting about how dangerous dairy is for the planet and I mean it's not good for us either at the end of the day the health impacts of dairy the inflammatory nature I mean a number of people that I've met customers who come into my shop who are allergic or have intolerances to dairy which I didn't even consider when I opened my shop you know probably only about 25% of my customers are vegan 25% of allergies and intolerances and they've not even been told officially they've cured themselves of gut problems migraines skin problems all sorts of things just by cutting dairy out of their lives it, it really makes you question should we even be consuming this in the first place and so yeah removing dairy the environmental the health everything comes together and it's it's possible tempters prove that it's possible on all levels and yeah i would like to see it become mainstream accepted and that we can move forward as it's another type of chocolate it just becomes something that's there for everybody I think your message will get across and I do hope that the industry spends more time evaluating itself and providing more research on what those numbers might be. Not only is it the gallons of milk, like you're saying, but it's this massive industrial complex of milk that has not only created environmental impacts, animal cruelty issues, but hormonal imbalance in humans as we've sort of ingested this concept of what makes a delicious dish and where we stand today and what could be healthier futures for all. I'm really grateful to have the opportunity to hear about what you've created. I know it's been tough. It's a hard road, but you're on the path and you're doing it. But I would love to hear to close out how we can support you further. I mean, obviously we're on Instagram, Temp York, which is an interesting place to see what we actually get up to. I'll be putting more things on there about the sourcing. Now I've got a little more time post-Christmas. You can't necessarily buy my stuff, but try other people's vegan chocolate. There are lots of, you know, lots of other wonderful companies to try. I mean, you can always email me as well. Email or Instagram message, and I do post out, which I don't say to everybody. (laughs) But yeah, I do post out if people want anything. So they just email or Instagram message me and I post out anything from the shop just people to open their minds really and to consider that chocolate doesn't need milk and just change that mindset and like everything I'm we're not asking for people to give up everything altogether but just take a few steps if we're going to save the planet and we're really going to make a difference to animal welfare it's about everybody doing a few small steps and being imperfect a few perfect people isn't going to change the world but but everybody doing a few steps is, is going to make a real difference Thank you very much. You're very welcome. Thank you.